Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. For those of you that may be a guest with us this morning, our church is in a unique place right now. The Lord has brought us into a season where we're searching for our next senior pastor. And so what we have right now is we have a pulpit committee who every week talks about the plans and the purposes of where we're going and what we're doing as a church. And they've been working very diligently on producing a process for us to be able to call our next pastor. And Lord willing, we'll be able to have our next pastor in the timing that the Lord wants us to have that in. And we're excited to see what God does in the future of Open Bible. So for the last several weeks, and this week is no different, we have been able to have pulpit supply from our own staff as well as outside sources. And today we have one of those outside sources. We have with us today Pastor Will Dutry. He is from over in uh, Pennsylvania, and he's at a church called Faith Baptist Church. If you know that church, you know Will. He is a great guy, and he's going to be able to bring us a great message from the Word of God this morning. So get your Bibles ready. If you would, welcome him with a big round of applause as he comes to speak for us this morning. All right, thank you for this opportunity. If you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles... Uh, to Mark chapter number 12. Uh, it's, uh, it's not lost on me just the chance that I have to stand before you and open the Word of God. Uh, as we listen to the words of that song, um, just to be in a room with those uh, who know the living hope, uh, that's an encouraging thing because you know there's a whole world out there that's trying to find hope. They're trying to figure out, they're trying to do what God had already done on the cross. They're trying to find that path to heaven, and we need to make sure as, a ch- as churches that love the Lord, that know that living hope, that we're willing to share it with them. In Mark chapter number 12, we're going to look together at a passage that's very important to me personally in my life. Um, I came here this morning with my family. Um, my wife Kendra's here. I have four kids. Uh, they're probably wreaking havoc downstairs as we speak, uh, but I'm sure they're having a, a great time. And, but you know what? God has been so good to us, um, each and every one of us. I don't know if, if you take the time every day to realize how good God has been to you. You know, no matter, no matter what has gone on this week, uh, God has given you more than you deserve. Do you believe that? He's shared with us and he has allowed things into our life that we don't deserve. You know, as we open the word of God today, this is one of those passages of scripture that God has really used in my life. I pray as, as you find yourself going through different times in your life that you'll allow God to encourage you in his word. You know, we, saw, we see David do that in, in um, oh, where is it? It's 1 Samuel chapter 30. It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, when you find yourself in times of life, when you need encouragement, can I, encur- can I tell you there's nowhere better to find it? And this is one of those passages that the Lord has used over and over again in my life. We're going to look at Mark chapter number 12. 
You know, uh, I'll do my best this morning to keep your attention. At, at my church, there's kind of a running joke. We have this, uh, we have this word that means, or this phrase that means a consistent, emotionless facial expression. They call it the will face. And uh, they've kind of coined it off of me. I have a very limited range of facial expression, as you can tell this morning. I am excited to be here, but you would never know it. Um, I am not very good at that. In my mind, I'm smiling ear to ear, and you're looking at me like, what's that guy's problem? You know? And uh, that's okay. I'll do my best uh, to keep your attention this morning. But I promise I'm very thankful and happy to be here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity. So let's go into a familiar passage in Mark chapter number 12. We're going to go to verse 41. Can I encourage you, though, please don't let the familiarity of this passage uh, make you tune out this morning. Because we're going to spend some time this morning really diving in, not just to this passage, but to what this means in the life of Christ. Look at verse 41 of Mark chapter number 12. It says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor woman, and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. And he called unto him, his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury, for all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Let's go ahead and pray this morning. Lord, I thank you today. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to open your word. Lord, I pray that as we, we, we all come from different places this week. Lord, there's no doubt there's burdens that are represented in this room and there's difficult weeks that have happened. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to find peace in you. Lord, I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to apply the words that we've sung this morning to recognize what you've done in each of our lives. Lord, I pray that as, as your message is presented this morning, Lord, I pray that you'll help me to get out of the way. Lord, nobody here needs to hear anything from Will Dutry, Lord. They need to hear from you this morning. Lord, and I pray that, uh, Lord, you'll, you'll help make my words clear. I pray that only what you would have be said will be said. Lord, I thank you and I love you. In your name, amen. You know, Mark chapter number 12, in the first three words, I, I get stuck. It says, and Jesus sat. You know, as you study through the Bible, it's really important for us to understand the context of what we're reading. Sometimes we can take just a block of verses and we can only read from the beginning and end of that section or, or our Bible tells us it's a paragraph so that must be all we need to know within there. But can I encourage you to, to step back as you study Scripture and study the context. The context, what I mean by that is it's the, the general series or composition of a discourse. It, it's that which precedes or follows a Scripture. The sense of a scripture is often illustrated by its context. You know, when you see a couple words in scripture, you should always step back. Maybe it's therefore or wherefore, or even just this simple and. You know, as I, I've gone through this passage in my life, and uh, it was so impactful for me. Six years ago, I actually ordered two widow's mites. And they came in those little fancy, you know, those coin things that they were, says they were verified, and I immediately ripped that thing open because I wanted to hold it. I want to hold it in my hand. But you know, as, as we see in this passage, it says, And Jesus sat. Have you ever considered what was Jesus doing in the temple? 
What brought him to sit on those temple steps? Was that his only purpose that day? Was his purpose that day was to, to sit down and look? But you know, as we go through Scripture, especially uh, in Mark chapter number 12, we need to recognize where Christ is at in his journey to the cross. Where Christ is at in his journey, even in, in this particular day. You know, we are only two days away from him hanging on the cross. We're all, we are, this is the same day, the, the night of this happening is the night that Judas is going to meet with the chief priests and make a deal. In 24 hours, he's going to sit in the upper room. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. He's going to be betrayed in the garden. He's going to be taken off. And he's God. He knows all this is going to happen. He knows what's coming. It says, and Jesus sat. Let's go ahead and step, step back and, and look at what's going on in his life, even just for this day. We'll start in Mark chapter number 11, if you want to jump back to Mark chapter number 11. We'll see the beginning of his day. It starts off great. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. It says, And they come again to Jerusalem as he was walking in the temple. There came to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and say unto him, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? You know what Christ, you know how Christ started off his day with with those that he was trying to minister to questioning his authority. They, they started off his day by him being questioned, and then we find uh, you're not going to be able to turn to all of these, but in Matthew 21, we see him share uh, a couple parables. He talks about the sons in Matthew 21. In Mark 12, he gives them a parable of the wicked husbandmen. He attempts to teach these Pharisees the truth. Then we get to, to Mark chapter number 12. If you look back at Mark 12, go to uh, verse number 10. He uses the Old Testament to help them understand who he is. Look at verse 10. We see him quote Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23. It says, And, and have ye not this scripture? This is the, the, the quote. The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. You know, Christ, he, he started off, his, question, his authority was being questioned. He, had, he attempted to teach these Pharisees. He attempted to, to even use the Old Testament, what they claimed to stand on as their truth, to help them understand who he was. Because he knew that in just shoot two short days, he was going to be hanging on a cross to die for their very sins. He knew where he was headed. You know what the questions continued. We see the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. They each come with a new question with a very specific purpose to trip him up. We see the Pharisees. They ask him a question about paying taxes to Caesar in Mark chapter number 12. We see him, the Sadducees come to him later in that same passage and, and talk about the resurrection. And then we see the scribes ask him, well, what is the greatest commandment? All these questions came with a singular purpose. They weren't really interested in the truth. They were trying to, to trip up Christ. They were trying to prove him wrong. You know, their, their questions weren't seeking what was right. They were just trying to, to make Christ look bad. Then we get to Mark chapter number 12, verse 34. And Christ puts an end to it. 
He says, and when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto them, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after thou, after that, durst ask any questions. You know what Christ said? No, we're done. We're done with your questions. It's, it's over with. Christ had been challenging them and they missed it. The God that they claimed to be searching for was standing right in front of them. He warns the Pharisees of their missteps. And you know, we find ourselves, this is Christ's last public discourse. His last public message comes immediately following we see Him sitting on those treasury steps. This message is, is famous. I'm sure you, you, you know of it. He, he stands in, in Matthew chapter number 23, if you want to turn there with me. We see the, the, the last public discourse that he delivers as he's standing there. And, and I want you to notice the, the audience that he's talking to. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. It says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples. You know, this is the passage where eight times he says the phrase, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He comes and he's warning those. He, he says to the, the multitude and to the disciples who are with them, as the, the Pharisees were there, he said, Woe unto you, Pharisees. He's trying to warn those that were following him, hey, be cautious of this group of people. They're hypocrites. They're not following after me. They're not after the truth. They're only interested in, in serving themselves. And he gives them a warning. Eight times he talks about different things that they're doing, different woes. I'll read through them quickly. In verse 13, he says, For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You know how they did that? They added human tradition to God's plan of salvation. They, they put a stumbling block between men and the Savior. Verse 14, it says, For ye devour widows' houses, and for pretense make long prayers. Verse 15, For ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Verse 16, verse 23 and 24, it says, He have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Verse 25, For ye may clean the outside of the cup and the, the platter, and within they are full of extortion and excess. Verse 27, For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones. You know, these men were interested in making themselves look righteous. And Christ comes, He comes to this multitude as He's giving one last declaration, as He's giving one last public message, and He says, hey, there's these Pharisees and they're trying to lead you astray. Woe unto them. Watch out for these eight things. They're whited sepulchers. You know, at this time uh, in history, what they would do is, uh, we're, we're getting into the Passover, so the whited sepulcher, they would do that to, to help people avoid touching them so that they didn't have to, to clean themselves and go through that process all over again as they prepared uh, for the Passover. And you know what he's saying? He's saying these men, they walk around and they, they stand on the street corner and they like to pray real loud and they want people to see them, but they're missing it. And he's telling the disciples, watch out for these guys. He's standing at his last chance to speak to the multitude, the crowd, and he's warning them, hey, there's going to be people that want to lead you astray. Watch out for these Pharisees. 
can I encourage you as you find yourself in study. There's a lot of different types of sermons a pastor can preach. And, and this is one of those that I want to encourage you to take home and study for yourself and to elaborate even more. Because you know what I find really interesting is this is the last public discourse and we see eight woes. But you know what happened at his first public discourse, the first time he spoke? He gave his eight Beatitudes. Christ didn't do anything by accident. He bookended his ministry with eight blessed blessed are thou's and ended with woe unto thee. And you know what? Those, there's some meaningful uh, study in there. You know, these men, they, they, wanted, they wanted others to see them as righteous, but God did not. And you know what? This is what Christ, this is what got Christ to Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter number 12, verse 41. The three words, and Jesus sat. After knowing all that we just went through, you can probably see some of the burden that was on Jesus' shoulder that day. You know, I don't know about you, but when I find myself having to have a hard conversation or, or knowing that I'm entering into something that is potentially going to cause me some conflict or, or I've had a, there's a reason they say I have a bad day, Right? You know what happens? We sit down afterwards and just feel the relief. Christ, He was in the temple. He was sharing the woes. And then we see Him, it says, and and He sat. He sat at the temple steps. He sat and He looked across the treasury. You know what? There's so much more to be learned in Scripture than just taking it all just and, and, and nitpicking our way through. We need to study what's going on. You know what? Christ, He sat here with some burden on His heart. He knew what was coming. He knew the day He just had. He knew the warnings He had just given. And Jesus sat. You know what? I can just imagine Him sitting down and looking across the courtyard. It says, and He beheld how the people cast money. You know, this word beheld, it, it has a very specific meaning. It's, it's where we get the English word theater. It, it means a thoughtful observation. He wasn't just sitting down and absent-mindedly staring at the line. How many of you have ever found yourself just staring off, right? The worst is when you do that, and then you realize you're staring at somebody's face and they look at you, right? And you're just, you're not, you're just toned out. But you know, that wasn't Christ that day. He sat on the temple steps. And he was observing. He, was, he had some thoughtful observation to what was happening. He sat watching those, tired of all the contention that he had felt that day. Knowing he's headed to the cross. And he sat watching them give their gifts. No doubt some cheerfully, some grudgingly. But the Lord observed it all. He saw it. As he watched some come, he was about to see something of significance. It says, And many that were rich cast money into the treasury. 
Many. You know what? He sat there and he watched person after person after person come and put in and, and look around and say, hey, look at what I'm giving and, and purposely make a show of, of their big old bag of gold and dropping it and, and feeling some gratification of that thump as it hits the bottom of the, of the container. He watched person after person give of their riches. It says, and then a certain woman... A certain poor widow, one, one in particular, came that day. And she threw in two mites. You know what? Two mites isn't really a lot. It says it makes up a farthing. It's, there's some argument as to what the value is, but that's really low. From best I could tell, it's one sixty-fourth of a day's work. So a buck twenty-five. That's what she had that day to give. That's what she had to put in. You know what? He saw the example of the widow. He saw some humility. You know, as you study through, it's amazing. This widow. Actually, go ahead and turn to me. I've already with me. I've already mentioned it, but go to Matthew chapter number five. We're going to look at that, those Beatitudes, and it's incredible to me as we look at these two types of givers, we really see these two lists living, out, living themselves out. This widow is really personifying this list in Matthew chapter number 5. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn. She's a widow. She had lost her husband. Blessed are they, verse 5, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they, verse 6, which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you. You know, we see some humility in this widow woman. You know, it's amazing. I encourage you to study through the Bible. And study through the nameless characters in the Bible. There's a lot of them. And God uses a lot of people whose names are never recorded. Maybe it's the Abraham servant in Genesis 24, the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17, or the centurion in Matthew 8, or, or maybe the man sick of the palsy and his four friends in Mark chapter number 4, or maybe Naaman's servant girl in 2, Corinthians 5, or 2 Kings 5, or the woman with initial blood in Mark 5, or the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, or this certain widow woman. She remained nameless. But you know what? We read of her some 2,000 years later. You know, as I, I sit here, and these, these mites mean a lot to me. You know, as I've gone through my life in ministry, I don't know about you, but there, maybe there's something that God's calling you to. I know for me, when I felt God calling calling on my life, I felt like I didn't really have anything that God could do something with. I felt like, I felt like the, the widow, like I only had two mites, and what was God going to do with that? Like I, I didn't really have enough. And you know what? He took me to this passage, and I find myself studying these people, and, and you know what? If God can take your two mites and do something amazing with it, are you willing to remain nameless for God? 
Because, you know, we have a whole world that their entire life is about making a name for themselves. Facebook, social media, YouTube, right? We're in the age of the YouTuber, right? When I was a kid, everyone wanted to play professional NBA, right? Even like the five-foot guy, he was convinced he was going to jump up in college, right? But now it's the time of the YouTuber. Everyone's got a camera. We want to make a name for ourselves. But you know, God has done some amazing things with people who are willing to remain nameless for him. You know, if God chooses to use you in a certain way, are you willing to remain nameless for him? To remain in the background. To remain, you know, even today, we sit in this room, and there, I don't know how many people, but there are people serving the Lord underneath this floor. And you might not even know their name. You know, there might be, you know, there was a a, a teacher when I was in Sunday school who had been in there for 30 years. The majority of the people in church had, on Sunday morning had no idea who she was. Because you know what? Every Sunday morning, faithfully, she was down there serving God, teaching children, loving on them. And you know what? She was happy to remain nameless for God. It wasn't about becoming something big. It was about loving Jesus with what she had. You know, we see that with this widow. We see her humility. You know, we also see her faithfulness. She was faithful to, to the house of God in spite of her circumstances. This widow, no doubt, had gone through a lot. She had lost her husband. The, the society that she lived in was not very gracious for women at that point in time, especially alone. And you know what? She was dealing with all of this. She didn't have, it's obvious she didn't have any money. She was struggling to provide for herself. She had lost her husband. We don't know anything more of her family life but that. But we see her remain faithful. You know, sometimes we allow man's circumstances to keep us from God's house. Can I encourage you that there is nothing, there should be nothing man can do that will undo a God decision in your life? You say, God called me to this church and I'm going to stay faithful and I'm going to be in that pew and I'm going to support and we're, we're looking for a new pastor and I'm going to be there. I'm going to stay faithful. Can I encourage you to do that? Because somebody in this room might make you angry in the next month. But don't let a man undo what God's done in your life. No man should have that kind of power in your life. If God's placed you here, you stay here. You, you weather the storm. You go through what God's called you to go through. And you remain faithful. You know why her faithfulness is so astounding? Look at verse 38 of Mark chapter number 12. Not only was she faithful, but she was gracious. And here's what's amazing about it. Look at verse 38. It says, And he said unto them in the doctrine, in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts. Notice these next four words. Which devour widows' houses. 
You know what's amazing about her faithfulness to the house of God? Is these Pharisees, it says if you study out, they sat in Moses' seat. They were running the the, the synagogue. They were there and in control. So who do you think was going to choose how that money that she gave was spent? Those who were being accused of devouring widows' houses. The reason she only had two mites to give to begin with. She was taken advantage of by those who were leading in the house of God. But you know what we see? We see her faithfully take her two mites that she has left because she recognizes, I'm not giving to man. I'm not faithful to man. I'm faithful to God. And that's God's house. And I'm going to find myself there. And I'm going to obey His word. And I'm going to give because God commanded me to give. You know what would have been easy? You know what our flesh would have said? No way. Those Pharisees are going to waste my money They're going to spend it on all kinds of stuff. This is all I got left. I'm going to keep it for myself. But you know what? She understood who she was giving for. Who she was giving to. She understood. She was faithful. She was gracious. Even in those difficult times. You know what's interesting is this widow woman... Can you imagine how, can you just imagine standing in line with her? Because she saw the same thing God saw. She saw the, the many rich put in big gifts. And you know what our flesh says? This is embarrassing. This is all I got. Look at all that. How are they giving so much? Man, look at all they're putting in there. Did you hear? Did you hear that thump? And she's standing in line with these people. You know what our flesh says? It's not worth it. I can't do anything. I can't accomplish anything. You know, this was the biggest battle I had in my Christian walk, is recognizing that God wanted my two mites. Can I tell you, God's not interested in your riches. He's interested in your two mites. This widow woman, she stood there. Can I tell you, she was a part of that, of, of that synagogue. You know, I'm a firm believer that God builds the body of Christ. So you know what? If you find yourself as a member of this church, God puts you here, you have a job to do. You might sit there thinking, yeah, but that's all it is. It'll be fine. Somebody else will take care of it. Can I tell you, God's after those two mites. Whatever little thing it is that you think, somebody else will do it. It's not that big of a deal. Can I tell you, God called you to this body for a purpose? There's no worthless members of the body. God placed you here. For a purpose. He has something for you to accomplish. You know what? In this body, there's encouragers. You probably, when I said that, you thought of somebody. You know, uh, we had our whole church take a spiritual gifts test. And I scored my lowest score on encouragement and mercy. You know, my wife scored her highest score on encouragement and mercy. The Lord brought us together to even us out, right? 
But you know what? As you look across this room, God's put this body together, and some of you are encouragers. Some of you are not. Let's be honest. But you know what? Some of you, God gave you the gift of administration. God gave you the gift of teaching. God gave you the gift of grace. God gave you the gift of giving. And you know, wherever you find yourself within this body, God put you here. And this widow, she could have easily looked down and said, nah, I mean, you hear all that gold? What am I going to do? How am I going to help? How am I going to contribute? But you know what? She never lost sight of who she was giving and who she was serving. It's not about man. It's not about who sees you across the aisle. Because you know what? God saw. You know God still sees? He saw the gift Ananias and Sapphira bought. He sees our gift. He sees our serving. He, he's still sitting up in heaven and Jesus sat and he's watching our giving. He's watching our serving. He knows. Don't ever forget who we're serving. You know, we can take comfort in knowing that God is always in control. God knew who this little woman was. He knew her needs. He was in control in her life. You know, sometimes we feel like life gets out of hand. And we wonder if God's still watching. Can I answer that question for you? Yes. Whatever situation, whatever difficulty you find yourself in, it didn't surprise God. He knows. You know what's amazing about our walk with God? Is He's also there to supply the strength to make it through it. You know, we see God use people in amazing ways that go through some very difficult things. You see Joseph being sold into slavery. Why? For the glory of God. He had a purpose. We see Paul sitting in a jail cell. Why? For God's glory, because he had a purpose. You know, all these men, they might sit back and think, Lord, why am I here? I can do so much more out there. I could do so much more if, if I had this or if this situation were different. But you know what? God had a purpose, and it was for His glory. And you know, wherever you find yourself today, God can be glorified through it. You can give it to Him. God's always watching. He knows our needs, your family's needs. He knows your church's needs. He is in control. Can I encourage you as you live your Christian life, and this goes opposite of everything that we're taught in this world, but there's really only one person that we should care is watching. There's only one thing that I really desire to hear in my life, and it's as I stand before God one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, if, that, if he's the only one I'm concerned about, our, our relationships in this room will fall into place. You know, if I wake up every morning only concerned about following wholly after God, you know what, my relationship with those in this room I struggle with will get better. You know, your, your family relationships, they'll get better. 
You know, when, when our relationship this way is right, it helps all of our relationships this way. God is in control. Can I tell you, don't miss out on what God's trying to tell you. Don't get lost on answering your own questions that you lose focus on all God has done for you. You know, we saw the scribes and Pharisees and, and the Sadducees, they're all sitting there worried about their questions. Why are they asking about taxes? Right? They're just there to, to mix things up. Can I tell you, don't get so lost on the questions that you miss seeing what God's doing in your life. We see a huge contrast between these these rich and the scribes and Pharisees and this widow woman. This widow woman, she knew that her gift was not going to be used effectively, but she was given to God. She recognized that what she was doing was not for man. And you know what? You might be sitting there with your two mites. Just as I was sitting down here on this front pew looking at my hand at these two mites thinking, Lord, I got nothing to tell these people. I have no words that are going to help them. Lord, I need you to take this. You know, you might be sitting there with your two mites and God wants to work in your life. God's been speaking to you. Maybe you see a ministry that that God's calling you to help in. But you haven't spoken up. Maybe there's a family member that God's calling you to share the gospel with. And up to this point, you've kept silent. Maybe there's a place in this ministry that, that sits empty because you're called to that place. And you're sitting there looking at your two mites thinking, oh, it's not going to help. It's not really going to accomplish much. Well, I'll just stay comfortable and in my seat. I'll just stay where I'm at. I'm going to do what I'm doing. But you know, there has to be a time in every Christian's life where we stop only taking in and we start to give out. And some of us are gorged. We've sat so long taking in. Just taking in, just taking in, just taking in, just taking in, just taking in. And God's calling us to a ministry so that we can give out. So that we can serve, we can love. You know, I don't know what it is that God might be calling you to do. And you know what was so difficult sometimes is recognizing that God can do more with your two mites than you can do with your own riches. God can accomplish so much more with that little bit than you ever realize. Can I tell you, part of my testimony, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And um, you think I'm awkward now. It was bad. It was really bad. And God started calling me to preach, and I started running from it. 
Because I sat and I looked at my two mites and I thought, mm, no, that's not happening. Lord, that is not happening. I cannot stand up there. You know the number one fear is public speaking? You don't believe me? Come on up and give it a shot. Right? You know, the Lord started working in my life and I thought, no, I, he, can't do, he can't do what he's telling me he can do with this. And it took me almost four years of God pushing me to preach. And probably seven years since God had laid on my heart a call to preach. And I finally got to a place where I said, Lord, fine. Here, you can, you can, you can have it. And he started working in my life. And I, I wish I could tell you it was an easy road. You know, there was, a, there was a time in my life where, <laughs> I, I hate this story, but it, it's so true. I, I started, one of, one of the things I started doing, I, I went in and I, I went, got onto pastoral staff and the Lord was working and I was learning to teach and preach and I was doing what I was doing and I was a singles pastor and I remember being so scared every time to walk down those steps to my classroom. And, and I remember one Sunday in particular as I started getting ready to, to preach, and, and I remember thinking, Lord, if I fall down these stairs, I don't have to preach today. And you know what? That was my way of looking at my two mites and thinking, this, this isn't enough. And I remember standing there just crippled with fear. Because God had called me something, to something bigger than myself. But you know what? I can honestly tell you, I do not regret giving God those two mites. If you would have asked me eight years ago if I would ever stand on a stage and preach, I would have laughed at you. You wouldn't have known it because my face wouldn't have stayed the same. would have stayed the same, but I would be laughing at you. Because you know what? I, I sat there and I thought, nah, God can't do anything with that. It's not enough. But God had a bigger plan. And you know what? As I look around this room, God has a big plan for you. God has something that he wants you to do. You know there's somebody in this community that needs to hear about God from you? I don't mean you as a church. I mean from you, and from you, and from you. There's somebody that you're going to come in contact with that needs to hear the gospel, that he's not going to get a chance to share the gospel with. and He's not going to get a chance to stand in their, in their living room and, and witness to them. But you are. But you're going to have that opportunity. But you're going to get that chance to sit down and show them in the Word of God the Christ that we sang about, the hope that we have, God's asking you for your two mites. Can I encourage you to give it to Him? Loosen that grip. And let God work. Let God do something great. 
Because, you know, we're still reading about this lady 2,000 years later. Her testimony has been shared for the last 2,000 years, and God's done something with it. I'm going to pray. We're going to have our invitation. And I just want to encourage you, as you sit and consider all that God's done for you, what is it that you're holding on to? What is it that God wants you to lay at His feet? For you, what are those two mites? Lord, I thank You today. Lord, I thank You for all that You've done for each of us. Lord, You love every person in this room. You hung on a cross for them. You died for them. Lord, I pray that You will give them the strength to live for You. Lord, no doubt there's some in this room that You've spoken to that You desire to work in their life. You desire to accomplish something that You've equipped them specifically for. Lord, I pray that You'll help them to let go. Help them to to lay it at Your feet and to trust You to make something of it. Lord, there's no doubt that the lad had no idea what was going to happen to his, two, his, his, his small lunch. But you know what, God? You fed so many. There was a moment, Lord, where that lunch went from being enough to feed one boy to being enough to feed 5,000. And it happened when that lad let go and gave it to God. When he released his two mites and allowed God to do something great. Lord, this city needs this church to do something for you. They need to hear your name. Lord, and I pray that you'll help this church to show them the love of Christ. Lord, I love you and I thank you in your name. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcasts or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.